Welcome to the Unveiling Grace podcast, a place to find freedom from the shame and pressure of performance-based religion. Enjoy another episode with Lynn Wilder and Joel Grote as they and their guests share personal stories and wisdom from the Bible that just might surprise you. We invite you to experience a grace that heals. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another Unveiling Grace podcast. We are delighted you've chosen to join us for this episode. I'm Joel Grote. Hi, Joel, and I'm Lynn Wilder. I like your new office. Thank you. (laughs) Joel has a new job recently, but Joel and I are still doing the podcast. And today we have with us Caitlin Earle. Caitlin and I talked a little while back, and I thought she had a really interesting story. Currently lives in the Salt Lake area. Did you grow up in Utah, Caitlin? So I was born in Utah, but then when I was nine, my mom got remarried and moved us out to Colorado. And Colorado, I loved the people. I loved the experience being there, but it just wasn't home for me. So when I graduated high school, I came back to Utah. Oh, that's interesting. What did you miss about Utah, do you think? Grass. Curve. <laughs> <laughs> Sidewalks. Uh, we didn't have must... those where I grew up. So. <laughs> got it. Wonderful. Okay, so after high school, you came to Utah, got a job, went to school? I did. I went to, I went, for my first job was actually a seating host at Lone Star Steakhouse. <laughs> And that was a job I got the summer before my senior year. And my boss had told me, if you graduate, you have your job back. So when I graduated, I called him and I said, I have my diploma. Can I come back? And so I went back to to work at the job that I had gotten the summer before I graduated. Okay. Then did you go, you must have gone to school because you ended up as a teacher at one point. So I started school. And um, didn't actually finish yet. So I'm working as a paraeducator at a high school. And so I will be starting school this winter to finish my teaching degree. And then I will be working as an actual teacher. Oh, well, that'll be very exciting. Yeah. So what was your spiritual background growing up? So I actually grew up in a family that was very, very, very embedded in the LDS faith. Um, Okay family that was very prideful of their pioneer heritage. Um, my great, great, I believe great grandmother was like the midwife in Bear Lake area. Um, my family owns a huge ranch out there. So we have very deeply embedded roots in the LDS faith. Okay. Um, my dad was in the bishopric at one point. I was Laurel's president at the same time, which made me ward youth speaker. <laughs> Anytime that the youth wasn't there, I was the first one to wind up on the stand giving a last minute, giving a last minute talk. So, and, and for um, the, and for the people listening that don't know what a Laurel president is, that means you were the president for a bunch of seventeen-year-old girls, right, during their senior year. Yes, 16 through 18. So, and really when it came to the Laurels class, they were in charge over the younger classes as well. So realistically, I was kind of overseeing 12 through 18. 
So you were really active. You loved church. You totally were in with yeah. LDS, huh? Yeah, I was I was deeply embedded in the LDS faith for almost 30 years, for just about 30 years. And had multiple callings from the time I graduated high school. I was teaching in the children's ministry that they call primary. I was everywhere in the church, volunteering everywhere that I could and doing everything that I knew how to do. <laughs> so, so did you marry in the church then? I did. So my first marriage, I did get married at first civilly. And then a year later, we were sealed in the Salt Lake Temple. And we had a daughter during that year span as well. So she was sealed to us as well. Okay. And I wanted to go back um, because there's a lot of people who are very, like you said, embedded. They're very deeply into their LDS faith mm -hmm. and they're, they're kind of making it work. So you've got the callings, um, you're considered faithful, but what was going on in the inside? What was your sense of personal worthiness? Uh, whether because with some people it's like, oh yeah, you're, I'm doing it. I'm really doing well. And there are other people who, despite all they're doing, there's still kind of that nagging doubt, like, do I measure up? So I was just wondering where you were at as you were going through all that. I kind of went back and forth at different stages in my life, especially where like when I was in the young women's, the youth group for, for the women in the church, I felt like I was doing everything right. School was going pretty well. You know, I had family drama. Every teenager does, but I felt like, you know, when I was doing what I was supposed to do, then things went well. And when I wasn't doing what I was supposed to do, then I needed to work harder. And I did later in my adult life that did actually cause a lot of stress on me of seeing that, like, I was like, I am giving you Lord, everything I have. And then some, and I don't feel like that's getting reciprocated. I don't know what I'm doing wrong, but <laughs> you're going to have to come down here yourself and tell me because I don't feel like I'm doing anything that I shouldn't be doing. And it's just not, things are just not lining up the way that they should be. <laughs> so it went, it went back and forth. There were different stages in my life where I felt like I was worthy and everything was great. And then there were times where I was like, I feel like I'm worthy, but I don't know what I'm doing wrong. That's causing all this drama. And then there were times where I was like, I don't care. Do whatever. <laughs> yes. I did. I threw in it. There was a point where I threw in the towel with God and was like, I'm, I'm good. Whatever you want to do, I guess that's what we're doing. So, so I want to ask about this civil marriage. Um, okay. Is there a reason why you didn't marry in the temple right away? And did you have angst and guilt about that or? Um, so we kind of got married fairly quickly just because it's just kind of how it wound up. Um, I did wind up getting pregnant and that caused a lot of drama in the LDS faith because that's a huge no-no. Uh, so that took the temple marriage off the table when, when it came time for our wedding day, but we had made a determination that we kind of took a romantic twist to it that the first year wedding anniversary present is supposed to be paper, something out of paper. So what would be a better paper than the marriage license from the temple? So we took that as that was going to be our first year wedding present to each other. 
and you you went through with that so then you're on the right track you're married you're having babies you're active in the church yep what so, happened i was gonna say so how active was your husband and what was his background so he was also very active his family is still deeply active he still remains deeply active we're no longer married which we'll get into with what happened yeah <laughs> um <laughs> he he served a mission in Canada and he you know deeply embedded obviously he was endowed before I was and that was that caused some strain in our marriage when I would try to ask what happened in the temple and and for those who aren't uh, from the faith endowed means that they have been through the temple had gotten a recommend and wasn't sealed yet to a spouse but that's the first step to being sealed to okay. your spouse. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, we both came from very deeply rooted backgrounds of pioneer heritage and active family all the way down. So the breakup of your first marriage, did that have anything to do with the church at all? Um, not necessarily. A lot of our drama between each other were things that would happen at home. Um, it was a domestic situation where I did wind up having to get a protective order to leave, to feel safe to leave. And um, so, but the breaking point is where we did have an argument with each other at church. And my wake up call was, if I'm not safe with this man at church, I'm not safe anywhere. And that was when I decided it was time to leave. So I didn't really have anything to do with the church. But at the same time, the church was not very helpful when I was asking for help to leave either. And that was my next question. So did you go to the bishop and tell him? There yeah, were so the day that we had our argument, there, my ex-husband had allegations that I was cheating and supposedly had proof of this. But had even stated to me, I know you're cheating, but I can't prove it. And I was like, then either you need to up your investigative skills or I'm not cheating on you. Mm -hmm. Those are really the only options because you've been looking at this for almost a year. Mm -hmm. And because he couldn't prove it, it caused more and more and more and more and more drama that eventually wound up overflowing yeah. at church. And so to try to calm things down, he had a pattern of behavior that when things would explode to that level, he would get his parents involved. He would take my phone. He would take my keys. He would um, do all of these things. And because we were at church, we didn't live with his parents. He took my daughter and had me sit with the bishop to discuss it. And I did ask the bishop. I was like, this is what's been going on at home. This is here. Here it is. And I laid it all out on the table for him. And the bishop's response was, what are you doing to agitate the arguments further? And yeah, I was like, so... what, you, what am I doing? And this is so typical, isn't it, Lynn? We have heard this over and over where a woman finally goes to her religious leaders. The men who are called of God supposedly look out for the ward, for the congregation, and goes to them with abuse that's going on at home only to have it turned around and like put back on her so what are you doing wrong what could you do better mm -hmm. and it's heartbreaking so caitlin you're not alone but lynn we've just we've heard this so many times however 
you know, a little devil's advocate in defense of the church, the folks who were called to be pastors or bishops in the Mormon church have no training. They don't, they don't know anything about counseling. They don't even know anything about doctrine or scripture. <laughs> I mean, they wouldn't even know what God said about that topic in order to give you good advice, I suppose. And so it's part of this is an organizational issue, right? From the top down where mm -hmm. men have all this authority, but they don't necessarily know how to wield it or or what to do with it in a way that's helpful for women. Mm -hmm. So then what was, I mean, so where did that leave you? How did that make you feel when he says, so what are you doing to agitate the situation? I was shocked because as a survivor of domestic violence, we do everything to stop the argument. You know, no, that's not how it is. No, I'm not going to leave you. You know, they're not telling you the truth. They want me to leave you, but that's not true. And even though we had told them, you know, I have separation papers that I'm just trying to find a way to get to them. And then when that gets leaked, you jump into every survival situation you can not to manipulate this, but to manipulate the situation so that you literally are not getting the brunt of the aggression. You're doing everything you can to stop the aggression before it gets worse. So when he was asking me, what are you doing to agitate the situation? I was like, do you not understand how domestic violence survivors actually survive a domestic violence situation? But how did you know that? How were you that familiar with what you needed to do in the middle of that situation? I think in the situation like that, you just kind of have to, you learn what calms them down and how things are when things are, because honestly, between me and my ex-husband, when things were good, they were really, really, really good. We got along well, we went on dates, you know, things, it, it was great. But when things were bad, it was really bad. And so you kind of, in that moment, you start looking at, okay, what were things like when it was good? What do I need to do to make it good? How can I stop this situation before it progresses? So you start putting yourself and asking yourself, what am I doing to agitate the situation? Because that's the same question that you're asking yourself in the moment. And how can I stop it before this becomes a physical situation? So I have an odd question that you may not know the answer to. Okay. Do you think... He was feeling pressure being a member of the church to, uh, as a priesthood holder, to have certain callings, to control his family, to be in a certain way. Was he feeling some spiritual pressure? Do you think religious pressure at all? Did that play in or was this a personality thing? Um, he had never expressed that he was feeling pressure as far as it went spiritually, but Knowing what I do now about the church and the pressure that you have about needing to be worthy and because there there is an exponential amount of pressure about when you're worthy, X, Y, Z happens when you're not worthy, X, Y, Z will happen. And so because of that, it, you know, I'm sure that it didn't need to be stated because we both understood that in order to have a family after you die and in order to keep us together we had to be worthy. And so I'm sure that there was a lot of pressure on him, but he did never state that there was that pressure there. 
Yeah, I mean, a man in the church probably shouldn't admit to those things, right? Maybe mm -hmm. even to himself. So this eventually ended in divorce. You were able to get away safely, you and the children. I did. So we had we only had one daughter together, so that made it a little easier. <laughs> but um, and she was three. So we, I did get a protective order and I remember being terrified the night that I did leave. Um, he was in the shower and I was just packing things that I could think, you know, just an outfit, a pair of pajamas, Braley's toothbrush, so just small things that I could think of. And um, I remember while he was in the shower, the plan was that I was working the mornings and he had been working the graves. And so I would take him to work and then I would go to work the next morning. And on my way to work, I would drop my daughter off at my grandmother's house and then I would go to work. And then when I was done with work, I would pick my ex up from his parents' house and then we would drive back to Layton where we were living and pick her up and then go home around maybe one. And then we'd have the rest of the day. And I remember as I was walking past the front door, I got this feeling check his key ring and I went and got the key off of his key ring just a subtle one that he wouldn't realize that I had taken the key off of his key ring for my grandmother's house because that was where I was going to be after work and I was scared to death the whole day I remember that I didn't want to go and pick him up from work and I told one of my coworkers, if I go pick him up I'm going to change my mind I'm not going to do it I won't go through with it. And she said, tell him you're busy. Tell him that work is too busy. Ask him if his parents can pick him up. And so I did. And I remember I had the car and he had to go to work that night. So I dropped off the car and my mom was in town and she followed me down. I parked the car and jumped into her car. And I remember hearing our door open as I parked the car. And I remember being scared to death of this happening. And that night when he realized I wasn't coming back, I was on the phone with the police as he was at the front door. And he, I could hear another dispatcher talking to him in the background. And we were both on the phone with the police at the same time. Mm. And wow. I remember just being scared. But the entire time I was able to have a clear enough mind that I honestly feel like that God was walking me through, get your daughter to bed early so that when he does show up, she doesn't open the door. And that's what we did. We laid her down, watched 101 Dalmatians. She fell asleep 10 minutes later, he's at the door. Mm. I remember hearing him take his keys out, looking for that key. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I would have never thought of that ahead of time. <laughs> and so I really do feel like that it was kind of led of like, you're terrified, but I'm going to help you through this. You're going to be okay. Wow. So how did so that you, night resolve? Did he end up just finally leaving you there? Um, the police asked him to leave. And then the next day, um, we went to Colorado for the weekend until the protective order was served on him. And then okay. we came back. And did he ever break that order? Oh, yes. He spent 10 days in jail for violation of a protective order because he had made threats to a social worker of what he was that he was planning a revenge <laughs> and had detailed it out. And I had the police report copy of it and pressed for 
violation of a protective order and he he did serve 10 days in jail for it and the protective order became permanent until our divorce was finalized so did does your daughter now have contact with him yes so so now that the divorce is finalized there are parameters in our decree that basically say the same thing as a protective order but that he's not going to get arrested the second it happens the option is that i can reinstate the protective order if i need to but she does see him every weekend. The protective order did not keep her from him. The protective order kept him from me. So we had to meet at the police department and sit on opposite sides. And she would walk across and go to him. I would leave first. And then the police would make sure that I was gone out of the parking lot Excuse me, before he came out into the parking lot. So there were a lot of safety parameters put in place. But she does have contact with him. And she sees him most weekends, and then we switch holidays. So through this, you were still active in the Mormon church, right? Sorry? Through all of this, you were still active in Mormonism, right? I was, yes. So and was the church any help in this? Did, were, did they send you to LDS services for counseling? Did they send you anywhere? For help? We've already been in LDS counseling with each other from within the first year of our marriage. We were already in marriage counseling with each other. Hmm. So I had already been going and the bishop was paying for the counseling for me to go, which was helpful. Yeah. Okay. So now you've got to support your daughter. Yes. <laughs> So life changes for you, but you're still active. I'm curious about when you started questioning the church. So after my divorce happened, um, it was about three weeks later. I was still leaving my, no, it was, it was probably a few days after we found out that my grandfather, who had had a heart transplant, wound up with a septic infection and passed away. Oh, man, I'm sorry. And three weeks after that, my dad committed suicide. Goodness. Coming with that mentality from earlier that we were discussing, it was, what am I doing wrong? wrong. You know, I oh, have, I I had no choice. I had to leave this marriage. Like, are you punishing me because I left him or, you know, what, what is going on? And it got to a point after my dad died, I was a mess. <laughs> oh, yeah. My, my friend came into my house and found me eating expired graham crackers on the floor. Like did not, I, I did not care at that point. That was where I threw in the towel and was like, I don't feel like I have anything left to give you. And if I'm not good enough for you, then that's your problem. And that's, uh, that was my mentality with, with God for a while is that I was like, I don't have anything left to give you. And I'm sorry, I wasn't good enough. And wow. I, I didn't have anything left to give him. I was invested in taking care of my child and my own safety. I had to find a completely different job and try to stay under the radar because there was still a protective order. I had to learn how to change locks on my own apartment because my apartment complex wouldn't do it without a court order. And so I was like, I don't have anything left for you. Yeah. And, you know, I started going against everything that the LDS faith tells. I mean, not anything illegal, but 
you know, I did start drinking and I did start sleeping around because I had no emotion. I had been suppressed of emotion my first marriage and then I fell numb after my dad died. And so I was like, I need to find emotion somewhere. And the only way I could release emotion was sleeping around or drinking because that's the only time that your filter shuts off. So Cause you're, wow. you're looking for this idea that I'm still alive, right? Yep, it was. It was that I was so numb that I didn't know what emotion I had and how to express it. So I had to kind of force it out of me somehow. And I, I went about like this for maybe about six months. And then God told me, you're done acting up, you're coming home. And at first oh. I was like, I was like, okay, wait, we don't need to be going to that extreme yet. <laughs> I honestly thought you're dying tonight. And I was like, well, hold on. I have a three-year-old daughter. Like, we don't need to go to that level. But then it was more of like, uh, you're going back to church. And I was like, because at that point, like the LDS faith, if I wasn't worthy for this LDS God, why would I want to go worship him? Right. And that is a perfect segue because <laughs> we're at the end of this episode and we've gotten Caitlin through this difficult time, protective border, trying to raise this child by herself, stay under the radar, switch jobs, and God at some point apparently speaks to her. Um, I cannot wait to see how this turns out, Caitlin, because you look like you're doing well at the moment. So my guess is things have turned around. Joel and Caitlin, it's been wonderful. We'll Absolutely. do a part two and finish this story. Grace and peace to you. Until next time. So long. Thanks so much for listening to the Unveiling Grace podcast. You can find show notes and leave us your comments and questions at unveilinggracepodcast.com. We would love to hear how the podcast has helped you. We are so grateful for you, our listeners, and the donations that keep us on the air. To say thank you, we are offering a free gift with a donation of any amount. Just go to unveilinggracepodcast.com and click on the free gift button to get yours. Thanks for joining us on the Unveiling Grace podcast, where you can experience a grace that heals. Thank you.